Would you now take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of of Romans, chapter 12. I've been so eager for us to get back here together, and so please have God's Word open before you, Romans chapter 12, and let's pray for God's help. Father, thank you for this book and in particular, this letter of Romans. God, we pray that you would use it once again. Remind us this is not just some literary, historical artifact. This is your word. And you've preserved it for us, and it has life because it's your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring this to us and suit it to every one of us. You know our hearts. And you know our needs, and so, God, we're asking for your help. Help us to receive and respond rightly to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've taken a little break, but now this morning we are re-entering this great book, and what a re-entry we find here in chapter 12. Based on all that he has said, chapters 1 through 11, Paul begins here in chapter 12 to lay out a vision for what living life in the gospel really looks like. And the vision that he begins to set out here is absolutely amazing. You listen, follow along as I read this. I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. I appeal to you, therefore. That is a hugely significant word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
bless them. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. I mean, can you imagine that? Let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Can you imagine what living in an environment like that would be like? Well, Romans chapter 12 is here to not only help us imagine it, but to help us actually experience it. And who wouldn't want this? Let's be careful here. Don't, when you read Romans chapter 12, don't let that just slide off into kind of biblical cliche land. Think reality. Think about this actually being our experience together. Maybe it will help us to think about what the opposite of this would look like. The absence of this would be like no loving happening, no honoring going on, no affection, no zeal, no, no serving, no patience with one another, no sympathy, no harmony. I mean, listen, here in Romans chapter 12, Paul is taking this really big step in this letter, having laid out very careful, very thorough terms, the substance, the beautiful content of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he now very consciously, knowingly, takes this step and he begins to talk about the radical way that we will live if we believe these things he's told us. That God is for you. That God has actually saved you if you've come to him in faith, that God is working in all things for your good, that nothing can separate you from his love in Christ. If those things that Paul has told us are true, and if we really lay hold of them, then the result will be that we'll be transformed in our thinking. We won't be conformed to the world. We won't think too highly of ourselves. We'll serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. Our love for one another will be genuine we'll outdo each other in honoring, we'll be patient in tough times, we'll care for one another's needs, we won't return evil for evil, we'll weep with those who weep, we'll rejoice with those who rejoice, we'll make peace, we'll overcome evil with good. Can you imagine all that happening and being a part of that? That's where Paul's taking us into that life and it's all based on what he's already Said, In fact, you know, as we come into, into chapters 12 through 16, there are two 
great assumptions that Paul is operating on. We need to get this. First, the great assumption that Paul is standing on is the truth of the gospel. Not just the truth of it, but the centrality of that truth, the functional centrality of the truth of the gospel. We see it in that word, therefore, right near the beginning of verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, based on all that I've said, given all I've said, now, therefore, it is no accident that what Paul is about to say, this description of how we should live our lives, comes after he has first spoken about what God has done for us in Christ. Paul leaves no room for ambiguity here at all. No one should ever believe that you become a Christian by doing certain things and living a certain way. First comes what Jesus has done for us. Then comes how we should, how we can now live for him. And Paul emphasizes that in the very next line, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. In other words, my appeal, Paul is saying, my appeal is based on all that God in his mercy has done for us. You know, Paul has been emphasizing this, especially as he brought this whole first part of his letter to a conclusion. He's emphasized God's mercy towards us. Look back for just a moment to chapter 9, verse 16. Paul says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And then he gives us this beautiful summarizing statement in verse 32 there. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And now, as he turns to describe what life in the gospel should look like, he says, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Listen, if one thing is clear from chapters 1 through 11, it's this. Christians are not people trying to earn the favor and acceptance of God. We are people who have been shown the mercy of God and have been completely changed by that mercy. Do you remember back in chapter 1? Paul started out his letter by painting a pretty bleak, actually not just a pretty bleak, a very bleak picture of mankind. We're all, every one of us, Jew and Gentile alike. We've turned away from God. He says it very clearly. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of God's standard. But then... Having described that terrible condition, that terrible situation that man is in, he begins to talk about this mercy of God. And it's amazing. I don't want us to forget this. Listen, Romans chapter 3. We read this together just a moment ago. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The incredible mercy of God. And then he says, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What mercy! 
But he's not done. He says later in chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All this mercy from God for us And that's just a very brief overview of the first part of Romans. But I tell you, that should affect you. Does that affect you? You were lost, condemned to death, and God rescued you. He took away your guilt. He brought you into a reconciled relationship with himself. He now loves you with a love that will never cast you off, and he promises you life with him forever. And in the meantime, he lavishly pours out his grace on you every day. All this mercy. And now he says, in view of all of that, therefore, and so all the weight and all the power and all of the reality of God's mercy in your life is what Paul wants to be behind what he's about to say as he proceeds to describe a life transformed by the gospel. So that's the first assumption that Paul is operating on. He wants that to be so clear, the truth, the powerful truth of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for undeserving sinners like you and I through Jesus Christ. And there's a second assumption Paul is operating on here. It's not, it's not as big as the first one, but it's still really important. And that is that we're to do this living in the gospel together. It's not a bunch of individuals doing this Romans 12 thing on their own. No, we're living in the gospel together. Remember back in chapter 1, Paul addresses this letter to the church there in Rome. He's addressing them as a church, a local gathering of believers, and this comes out explicitly here in chapter 12. You know, sometimes we can read those first two verses of chapter 12, and we can think, you know, this is just about me and my own private experience, You take this very privately as a description of your own individual walk as a Christian, but Paul will not let us do that. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, for as in one body, now he's talking there about our physical bodies. He's just using an illustration right there. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, now he's talking about the church, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually the members of one another. All through this chapter, that's what Paul has in mind. Romans 12 is about living out the gospel together. In fact, the rest of Romans is this great therefore of the gospel, and we are to do it together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, sometimes face to face, 
Let me put it this way. Romans 12 is answering the question, what happens when a group of people have embraced the gospel? What happens when a people are, in fact, recipients of the mercies of God? What does it look like as to, to live a, a, as an increasingly gospelized local gathering of believers? Well, here in Romans 12, Paul begins to answer that question. And right off the bat, he dives right into the heart of the matter. And two things that are to characterize our living out the gospel together emerge right off the bat with unusual force. Here they are. Humility and love. What does it look like when a people have been and know they have been laid hold of by the mercies of God? It will look like lots of humility and lots of love. How do we live out the gospel together? What are the logical fruits of this kind of gospel? The regular expression of humility and the regular expression of love. This is Paul's starting point. And as he makes this great turn in this letter, this is God's instruction and reminder for us as a local gathering of believers this morning. So in the time now that we have left, let's look a little more closely at these two things. First, humility. Humility. And it all starts with humility before God. Did you notice this? We see this in verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I, I want us to notice two things here. In verse 1, Paul says, present your bodies as a sacrifice to God. This is a great expression of humility before God. When we read that word bodies, it's not you know, just our physical bodies as opposed to our minds, as opposed to our hearts. Paul is talking here about our total lives. But the fact of the matter is our lives get lived out in our bodily existence, our daily lives, our, our daily work, our play, our relationships. So Paul is speaking when he says bodies. He's speaking of our whole lives. Present your life to God. Present your living to God. Dedicate yourself. Give yourself. Be set apart. That's what that word holy means. Set apart, dedicated to God. Friends, that is a great expression of humility. You are saying, I'm not going to rise up in pride and say, it's my life and I can live it however I want. No, I belong to God. And so I gladly, humbly submit my life to him. Then second notice in verse 2, Paul says, discern what the will of God is. You know this. I mean, if you've been a Christian for more than a week, you know this is true. It's a battle. It's a battle of wills. My will is still very strong, but I'm choosing to submit my will, to align my will with God's will. I'm purposefully seeking to know God's will to discern in every situation what is pleasing to him and then submit to that. That's what I want to live by. Not my will, but thine be done in my life. That 
is a great expression of humility before God. And it flows right out of our experience of the mercy of God. I mean, I've seen where my will gets me. I'm glad now to submit to your will. And how practical this gets every day. When you've been hurt or rejected or talked about or when you are tempted to do something or look at something or when there's a situation at work or school where there's pressure on you of some sort to do something and your mind has been renewed, you're able to discern what God's will is in that situation and you choose that and you don't just do what everybody does. You're not conformed to the world. You instead act according to God's good will. You humbly yield to him. And you're now walking in the liberating freedom of the gospel. You're living in view of God's mercies. So living in the gospel starts with this humility before God. And let's not rush, let's not rush past that. Let's make sure that's in place. It is the absolutely essential starting place. Fully yielded, happily yielded to God. It's the first great fruit of the gospel. But at some point, not too far down the road, that humility before God is going to translate into humility in our relating to one another. And we see that in verses 3 through 8. Again, I want you to notice two things, two details. First, humility in relating to one another requires sober judgment of ourselves. Did you see that in verse 3? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. What Paul is saying is that we need to have a right, clear-headed assessment of ourselves. And how do we get that? Not thinking too highly of ourselves which some of us are inclined to do, and not thinking too lowly of ourselves, which some of us are inclined to do. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly say that second part. Maybe that tells us which of these two is the greater temptation, but it's implicit in that phrase, sober judgment. We need to get it right. Not thinking more highly of ourselves, not thinking more lowly of ourselves. So how do you do this? You see yourself as God sees you as a recipient of his gift of faith. Verse 3. As a recipient of his gifts of grace. Verse 6. So humility in relating to others requires this sober judgment. But then, second, it requires active service. Look at verse 6. Paul says there, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he proceeds to list seven different gifts representing all of the possibilities of service that exist in a local church. And do you notice how in every one of those things that Paul names, they're all others focused. At least they're meant to be. I mean, if someone is serving, there's someone being served, right? And that's where the focus should be. If someone's teaching, someone's being taught, that's where the focus should be. If someone's giving, someone's receiving, that's where the focus should be. What is this? This is humbly using what God has given you to benefit others. It's not done to call attention to me. It's not done so that people think more highly of me. Oh, how we need God's help here, right? And God will help us. His mercy has not stopped. So how do we live this out? 
Let me just speak kind of a pastoral word here. How do, we, how do we live that out? Get in there and serve. Let your gifts emerge as you seek to use what God has given you to benefit others. Don't wait around to get a perfect readout of your gift mix. Find a place to do good to others. You know, when we, when we first started as a church, um, as a leadership team, we were trying to decide four members of the church what meaningful engagement would look like. And, and as we thought about that, prayed about that, we, we tried to capture that in three things. First, engagement on Sunday morning. Being here, being fully present, fully engaged in the worship and the hearing of God's word. Second, being in a smaller kind of relational community, a place where, where you can experience deep fellowship, caring for one another, praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another, spurring one another on in discipleship. And then third, we talked about a specific place of serving in the body. Using what God has given you to benefit others, and I think of all of the places that that is happening, and all of the good that is being done, and it just makes me want to call all of us to eager faithfulness in this mutual service. It's part of living out the gospel together, this humility in relating to one another. Listen, I believe humility is the first mark of someone who really gets the gospel someone who knows themselves as a forgiven sinner and a recipient of mercy. Humility is exactly what one would expect from a person who understands what God has done for them in Christ. You know, as we look um, at adding people to the pastoral team, which we're in the process of right now as we seek to bring on a new youth pastor, this is one of the main things we're looking for. Humility before God and humility before others. And we want that on our pastoral team because that's what we want in this church. This gospel fruit. Well, there's a second thing that Paul tells us should characterize our living out the gospel together, a second beautiful gospel fruit, and it's love. What does it look like for a people to live in, to live out the gospel together? It looks like love, lots and lots of love. It's amazing how many different ways Paul says this in chapter 12. And by the way, he doesn't stop there. I mean, just look for a moment over to chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. I mean, so important is loving one another to our living in the gospel that it is shot through all of these chapters. So let's see exactly what Paul says here in chapter 12 as he lays this out for us, especially in verses 9 through 21. I just want to point out three things Paul says here. First, I'm going to try to say something here. It's going to take me a moment to say it, so stay with me. First, genuine love is a disposition of the heart. It's put there by God. 
It's part of the new life you've been given, the new heart that God has given you. It's a disposition of the heart that cannot help but act. Now, it's accompanied by real feelings. I mean, maybe you can see what I'm trying to avoid by saying that. Some people will say, love is just acting. Well, love is not just action. It's not just doing things. A robot can do things. There is real affection. Paul says that there in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. There's something in the heart there. But genuine love does stuff. By the way, please notice Paul emphasizes genuine love. That could actually be translated, let your love be without hypocrisy. So what might love with hypocrisy look like? Well, it's love that is motivated by a desire to create a good impression of myself. A love that makes me look good. So I'll get praise, I'll get approval. That's not genuine love. See, genuine love has the other in view. It's not afraid. In fact, it's eager to honor someone else. Verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. It notices needs and it moves to meet those needs. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. It sympathizes with others. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It pursues peace with others. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So notice first, Love bears fruit in very concrete behaviors. Second thing to notice here is that genuine love, true love, lines up with what is good and true and right. I just want to point this out to keep our love from kind of drifting off into sentimentality. Look at verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I mean, that is a very interesting follow-up. Clearly, Paul intends for that to be read together. I mean, it's right in line with what he said back in verse 2. Discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, my point here is that truth and love are not in conflict. Sometimes we can be tempted to want to sacrifice truth for the sake of love. Sometimes we can be tempted to sacrifice love for the sake of truth. But in God's world, in living in the good of the gospel, those are not in conflict. Genuine love lines up with what is good and true and right. And the third thing I want you to notice about this love is that it doesn't guarantee that everything will be easy relationally. I love the realism of these verses which reminds us that we're often called to love in very challenging circumstances. You see, when we read verses 17 through 20, it it assumes that we're not all perfectly holy yet. It's really important for us to get. We don't first kind of become all that we're supposed to be off on our own and then bring that into the church. No. No. God uses the church, this local gathering of believers, to help us become what he wants us to be. It's part of his design. And that means we're going to have to deal with sin 
and weakness and failure in each other. I tell you, we have so many opportunities to love each other. And some of those opportunities will come when we get bumped or jostled or outright sinned against. We need to remember that the blood of Christ covers their sin too. And so let us fill our hearts and our minds with gospel truth such that when we get bumped or jostled or sinned against, gospel love comes out. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I tell you, in light of verses 17 through 21, verse 12 has so much wisdom in it. Look back up at verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Those are all forms of love, and they help love keep alive through tough times. There have been times in my experience here, as this will come as no surprise to you, there have been times when it's been hard for me to love a brother or sister here at Crossway. I think there's probably been more times when it's been hard for people to love me. I give you permission to interview any of the members of the pastoral team. (laughs) But I tell you, I am so grateful for people who have been patient and hopeful and praying during those times as an expression of their gospel-fueled love for me, even when it wasn't easy. Friends, living in the gospel together will involve lots and lots of love. Well, let me wrap this up. I trust this morning as we've been hearing this from God's word together that, that a regular thought has been kind of circling around in your mind. Here's the thought. What might this look like for me? What might my part in living this out in this body of believers look like? I mean, I've embraced the gospel and I hear Paul's point here in chapter 12 loud and clear. Therefore, I hear that, I feel that. I mean, here we are. We have this this book. We believe it is from God. It's for us and it says, live this way. And there is in every one of us who have come to faith in Christ a desire. I want this. I know this is God's will. I want this. So there will be an instinct in us What could this look like for me? So let's think for just a moment here about how this might get lived out even this coming week. None of us lives in a vacuum, not one of us. We all live in relational contexts, so let me just name a few of those contexts. Think of your immediate family. For many of us, they are part of this church. I know this is a radical idea, But I believe with all my heart that your connection to members of your family as members of the body of Christ is far more important than your biological connection. That my wife is my sister in Christ is more important than that she is my lawful wife. So, parents, spouses, young people, 
Work these Romans 12 things out in your relationships, in your immediate family who are members of this body of Christ. Here's an idea. Read through Romans 12 with your family, your parents in mind, with your children in mind, with your spouse in mind, and grab one or two of these specifics of humility and love and pray for God's help and then pursue them in your relating with the members of your family who are part of this body of believers. Or I think about your friendships that you might have. I'm so grateful for the wonderful and increasing network of friendships. What a great context in which to work out Romans chapter 12. Or I think of our more formal contexts in our church life. I think about our gospel communities, a perfect place to pursue the specifics of Romans 12, humility and love. I think about ministry teams. You know, maybe they're not as explicitly designed with this purpose, but, you know, serving together is going to provide great opportunities and what a difference it will make when there is active humility and active love. You know, you read Romans chapter 12, and it can be a little daunting, and yet it's very clear that Paul's talking about real life. This humility and love is to show itself in the midst of our day-to-day, week-to-week, ordinary, unromantic life together as a body of believers. But can I say, can I speak on behalf of this church? We are not ashamed of the gospel. We believe it is powerful. It is powerful for the salvation of everyone who believes and It is also powerful for living out the Christian life. That's what Paul says right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And as we do this, as this Romans 12 vision gets lived out, guess what will happen? Three things. Jesus Christ will be made much of. He'll be magnified. We will enjoy our life together all the more. And the gospel will be put on display. And who knows what God might do with that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your help this morning. I pray now as we so often pray as we're about to leave this building, God, would you preserve your word and cause it to filter down into our lives in such a way that it will bear fruit. God, we pray specifically this morning that the fruit of humility, fruits of of humility might be born out of the gospel in this place. We pray specifically that fruits of love might be born out from the gospel in this place as we live life together. God, help us to be humble and to love one another and to do that out of a joyful obedience, change lives for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.